This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. D20 Radio, your gamer's role. you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca. Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Josh Heath. I am joined by my friend, Jim Dealey, and we are going to be talking about moots today. Before we talk about moots, before I let Jim say anything, I want to do a shout out to Order 66 Podcast. That's a member of the D20 Radio Network. That is an all-things Star Wars role-playing by Fantasy Flight Games Podcast. They are an any award winner for best podcast. And if folks are interested in star wars or actual plays it would be a great one for you to go out there and listen to jim thank you for being here today i am always happy to have you here on the show what are we talking about today we are talking about moots which is the guru's party time and anyone who thinks that werewolf is just a game about smashing things and not a game with heavy deep layers of subtle politics has never been to a properly run moot. Because a moot can be every bit as dangerous as a vampire Elysium, but open challenges and open carry of claves are allowed. <laughs> right. There's so, definitely a lot of stuff going on in the moot. For anyone that has been in a LARP, you have most definitely had moots very regularly because they are an incredibly important part of the social game of Werewolf the Apocalypse ensuring they are in your game in a tabletop game gives you the full range of feeling and ideas and concepts that you will experience in a werewolf the apocalypse game if you're putting them together right and one thing that we discovered while we were putting this episode together is that while werewolf 20th anniversary edition has a great set of materials for lots of different things it doesn't have a great explanation for all of the individual parts of the moot or at least the standard moot that you might see in uh, most cases we're going to talk through some older resources that have those elements and talk through the different reasons for putting a moot together and so forth and so on and i'm going to basically be interviewing jim who has done most of the research on this jim let's start off with the purposes of a moot why moot what is the purpose of a moot at a basic level, it's because werewolves are social monsters. We are more so than everybody else. Werewolves operate in teams and in packs, and there's teams that go beyond the pack. Your pack is part of a set. Your sept and most of its members are part of tribes. Your tribes are part of the nation. The Guru Society divides itself into groups and defines itself by their group affiliations. And those group affiliations come into play coloring very thoroughly the elements of a moot. A moot is at the very basic level, a gathering of guru for guru purposes. There, it has a secondary function, which is no less important, of keeping the cairn recharged and ready, for, ready to go. Because werewolves are usually making use of the powers of the cairn constantly 
throughout their throughout the cairn's work, opening the cairn, drawing energy from the cairn, recharging their gnosis at the cairn. It's a give and take. And the moot process is about giving back to the cairn that has given so much to you, recharging the cairn spirit, recharging the cairn with gnosis. It also helps to honor the spirits allies of the sept because you call it's not just guru who attend moots, it's spirits too. And for that matter, kinfolk. Kinfolk can attend moots. There's no reason, unless you're dealing with business that absolutely is so veil sensitive, not even kinfolk can attend. Kinfolk can come to moots. There's certainly are going to be part of putting them together. And I would say dealing it's with- normally a suggested element that some kinfolk are present at moots, particularly if you have Gnostic kinfolk who have mm-hmm. that spiritual power. They're going to be connecting with the spirits as well. Their presence as members of the tribe uh, or the local, as it were, the local tribe, the sept is really important. Um, So I I would agree that their presence is really an essential element for the right feel for what a moot does, Um, unless it's really like a war moot or something like that. Mm -hmm. Unless it's some kind of, and there are specific purposes which you can gather moots for too. And the individual moots will have different feelings depending on what purpose we're doing for them. It's also for dealing with sept business that needs to be dealt with in front of the whole sept. Stuff like dealing with challenges, dealing with meeting out justice, challenges for rank and renown, challenges for sept positions. These all happen and always happen at moots. The uh, cracking I think they the don't bone would- have to happen at moots, but they almost always do because you're getting everybody there together anyway. So it makes sense to why not wrap all of that business up into this moment. Also, if you're a guru and you want to challenge for a sept position, you want to do it in front of everybody. Right. If you have a beef with another guru who's outside your pack and you can't settle it right then and there, you're going to deal with it at a moot where everyone can witness you doing a fair challenge with the other party and nobody knows, no funny business happened because the master of the challenge oversaw it. I'd look askance at a guru who who deals with challenges outside of the presence of a moot because what are you trying to hide? That's a good point. What's going on that you're trying to hide? Are you cheating? Is your challenge not honorable? What's going on? If you're not afraid of accepting the consequences, do it in front of everybody. Yeah, that's a good point. It's also very, very, moots are vital to the process of gathering renown. You and I have both agreed before the session, we're going to do another Galliard Rants episode specifically on rank and renown. But renown plays into and is a huge part of the whole process of gaining renown. And I encourage folks that are interested in what does a story look like at a moot, uh, help put together a whole anthology of stories with the uber idea that they are tales from a moot or tales being told at a moot. If you're interested in what does that look like from a fiction standpoint, tales from the moot is a great way of getting a feel for these are the types of stories that could be shared at a moot. For that matter, look at the werewolf introductory fiction in almost every single book. Most of those could be stories told at a moot. In fact, Histories from the nation are told at moots. Songs and stories are not just recent events. They're also guru history. They may be requested to perform specific stories out of the silver record or a specific lesson from the litany can be performed at a moot. More than just, it's more than just what happened recently, but what happened recently is definitely a huge focus for the guru here. And it's your Galliard's time to shine and make sure the rest of the pack does too. Yeah. Then, of course, at the end, there's always the big party time to the party. But yeah, that is one interesting way of looking at it. It, it, There, the end of every moot 
is a revel with the revel being more of a of a killing spree that also turns into a party so it's a very Geru way of partying insofar as they are usually going out and hunting banes and other harmful spirits or even just going on a hunt as a sept again uh to attract uh, or to go after a spirit that the cairn spirit has brought for them to hunt as a pack as a bonding sort right. of experience if you're not even hunting worm creatures you're always going to hunt the angling at the end of the mood at the rebel right. Right, because that's another part of recharging the cairn with gnosis. Because once you catch the angling, its gnosis is once is shared amongst all the guru there who gave gnosis to re-energize the pack at the beginning, except at the beginning of the mood, and it also re-energizes the cairn as well. Now, if you are a war, if you're convening a war moot, if you're convening a moot for the purposes of launching a military campaign, the revel is often the and let's go kill them right part of the moot where we launch the attack itself because guru are not if we've done the planning we've done the prep the end of the mood is let's go kill them we've i'm going to go off our outline for just a second to say we've mentioned that there are different types of moots can you give us a brief description of what those different types of moots are generally not the not the scale of moots but the specific mm -hmm. like we've talked about war moots we've talked about the monthly moot what other types of moots are there there are different types of moots for the purposes of what are we doing with them. And the moots, are, it's what purpose are you gathering for? If you are having a trial that is a specific type of moot where focused around justice, I would find it particularly appropriate to host such a moot under a half moot. If you're hosting a moot for the purposes of diplomacy, that would be another good opportunity. A moot can be convened to be a meeting between two septs. Again, it would be appropriate to convene such a mood at a half moon. If you're if you're convening a mood to go launch a spirit to to launch a inquest among spiritual allies, you might do that under a half moon. Moods can be convened for uh, it's what is the purpose for which you are gathering the guru in question determines a lot of the mood. If you're determining an investigation to if you're going to launch an investigation to a mystery that concerns the entire sep, I would gather a special kind of mood under a new moon to be like, let's go ferret out all the evidence for this purpose. This is kind of nebulous. It's not really well described in the book, but I can infer all sorts of different mood types from what they've written about just briefly. I've been at war moots. I've been present for inquest moots. I've been present for all kinds. The moot purpose is defined by what is the reason for us gathering. Right. And, and I think as such, the moot structure doesn't always hold true for every single type of moot. Right. And I think that's a good segue into talking about the moots as game sessions. You know, what uh, what you do in a session for a moot. So you, can you tell us a little bit about how you would structure a moot as a session for the game? Um, when I run, my players would know I run moots on the regular because I love them. And... They're an important part of emphasizing the communal nature of a guru, of a guru society. The at the very basic scale, an ST can bring in all sorts of guru politics at a moot. This is where you add color to the NPCs that the player characters don't get to see or hang out with as often as the elders. If something is going down at a sept, it's going to be in the air at a moot. It's going to be something. If, for example, one of the septs. Guru just had a Metis child, that's going to be a big discussion. And there's going to be a whole lot of there. 
there's going to be a big pomp and ceremony as you perform the rite of heritage to find out which cherish sired this sired this child so that we can punish both of them. And if, for example, or if you're gathering to celebrate a recent victory, there's going to be the major stories of the event are going to be from the perspectives of the Galliards who were there for the battle. If you're, as a regular game session mechanic, it's when have your players done something that's worth recognizing? Give their Galliard a chance to, to chew the stage and make them look good. And also, do the players have business that needs to be resolved? Do the players have open challenges with other guru from other septs that may necessitate them going to the other sept to challenge them on their home ground? It can be a really tense session if you're going to another guru sept with the express purpose of challenging someone there. You're not on friendly territory. Even though you're meeting kind of under a quasi-flag of truce, nobody's safety is guaranteed at these kind of moots. Right. I mean, we're guru after all. Mm -hmm. Right. And any and, uh, Yeru that says you will not be harmed at a moot is really talking out of the side of their mouth because you might not intend to, <laughs> to harm be. them at a moot, but someone lets loose their rage and you frenzy. Sorry, these things just happen with Geru. And you've got to keep that in mind whenever you're going anywhere and doing anything. This is why the master of the challenge keeps several guardians to hand, especially when he knows a high intensity challenge is about to go down. Because if you've got a pair of Aruns who have serious beef with each other and are both known to have really strong rage, you're going to take, you're going to gather as many Guru as you think it's going to take to bring down one or both of them if they're frenzied. And you're going to do double that if you have it available. Right. Because a Guru going loose with their rage is generally dangerous no matter which auspice, but particularly if it's an Arun. Another reason to convene regular moats is because they are necessary for the player characters to advance in rank and renown. No guru is going to advance in rank unless their story gets told. Where does their story get told? At the moot. That's where the Sept Gal where the Pax Galliard, ideally every Pax should have a Galliard. I, I mean, we're somewhat biased, we're Galliards, but we believe that it's very important every Pax should have a Galliard because yep. their Galliard's job is to make sure everyone gets renown and everyone advances in rank. Again, this is a good discussion for a whole nother session, but rank and renown happens at moots. The rights of renown happen at moots. The stories that get you those rights of renown happen at moots. The challenges for rank should happen at a moot, even if the actual rank challenge is going to be off ground. And all of this stuff that's important to seeing the guru advance in rank happens at a moot. And ideally, when you come back from a rank challenge, having successfully completed it with proof, you'll be waiting for the next moot to lay that proof at the feet of the elder who you challenged and tell them, I did it. And the elder steps up, gives you a golf clap and says, well done, new rank of the guru. You have honored yourself and let it be known. <laughs> yep. I think it is incredibly vital. We've talked a little bit about why you would moot. I want us to talk about the structure of a moot. But before we talk about the structure of the moot, I think we should talk about the different scales of moots because there are these different levels of moots that you can have. So tell us a little bit about the different moots that exist and, and their scale, as it were. Because the Guru Nation it has itself subdivided into pacts, seps, tribes, and the whole nation, there are appropriately divisions in size between the levels of moots that can be called. The Sep moot is not the only moot that ever happens. 
on the most basic small scale, PAC meetings could be considered moots. Your PAC probably has regular meetings like two or three times every couple of game sessions. Our PAC in the World of Rage session has a PAC meeting more or less two or three times in a session and usually longer and more often because we want to get on the same page and come to an agreement on things. These are often highly informal. There's not a whole lot of ritual or pomp and circumstance, but every time Guru meet up for a purpose, it's a moot, right? whether it's big, small, or indifferent. Another important middle scale of moot that sometimes gets missed and overlooked are what are called hearings. This is kind of when this, I like to think of them as mission debriefs because a hearing happens when a pack comes back to the sept and has something to talk about with the elders. One of my favorite sessions of, my, of the Dark Ages game I ran in, my Galliard character came back from a long fact-finding mission and had to present at the feet of the elders. Here's the solid proof that the spirals are rising. We found evidence at this place, this place, this place, and this place. Oh, and by the way, this sept has been practically destroyed by an attack by spirals. And I had to watch my very powerful Philodox elder restrain a frenzy several times. It's like, this is really ticking me off that we're letting this stuff happen. And that's what, you know, when the pack comes back after a significant mission, the elders can convene a hearing. They will, usually the SEP leadership will be there. Almost all the SEP leadership will make an excuse to show up because they want to know what happens. Even if it's only really needs just the elder to be present, the SEPT Alpha or the, if there is one, or the whole council should be present. The tail singer should also be present because whatever's being talked about is going to be worthy of renown. If your pack for some reason doesn't have a Galliard, and what are you doing? Why does your pack not have a Galliard? The tail singer is your gateway to renown. So you better tell the tail singer everything in exacting detail so he can present your sept, your pack's deeds at the moot. But again, you should have a Galliard. That's the Galliard's you job. You should, but sometimes, you know, for lots of reasons, you don't have them. So we can't berate that to berate people if, for too much for that. If your Galliard died in battle, that's understandable. <laughs> if your Galliard... The, it, one of the PCs chose not to play a guy. That's okay. That's your style. But you're trusting in the tail singer to tell your stories. Right. And I think a PC does a better job of telling PC stories personally. And that's why I always ask my packs to build a Galliard. Just like the cleric in the D&D game, a Galliard is essential in a, in a werewolf game. Fair. Um, so after so, hearings, we've got the monthly mood, right? That's kind of the next yep. layer. The next step up is the monthly mood. And this is the mood that you're going to have pretty much everywhere you go. Every sept is going to have a moot at least once a month to recharge the cairn, settle all their sept business. When we talk about moots, that's generally what we're talking about. We're yeah. talking about the monthly moot at the regular at the sept at the regular meeting time and place. And the whole sept is invited. And often this is at the full moon for most moots, but not necessarily. The monthly moot can happen at any point in the lunar cycle. However, I've noticed that it frequently happens on a rune moon. Just seems to be one of those things that people have sort of fallen into the common trap of doing, I guess. But as a reminder to people, you don't have to do that. You can have your monthly moot happen at any part of the lunar cycle. At the sept of the heart of the nation, the level five Karen of Unity, we had no fewer than five regular moots that happened every month. The challenge moot always happened under the new moon, and it happened off-bawn because we're not going to settle our issues anywhere that will damage the unity of the cairn. Sure. Uh, the moot with, where the spirit allies court convened happened on Theurge point, waxing Theurge moon. 
The half moon dealt with all diplomacy and set business. There was a special moon convened just to hear out grievances between among tribes and among ambassadors. The big story moot because everybody wants to perform at the heart of the nation. There was several story moots convened on the average during the Galliard moon. The set moot moot was always the full moon. And then the Karen totem asked to be left alone for the waning cycle of the moon. Phoenix did not want to get woken up for one more moon. <laughs> but yeah, you can you can do that. This is one of those elements where the storyteller can play with it. If a Karen believes it's too dangerous to convene moots under the full moon, and it, let's be honest, full moon, lowest rage difficulties, highest chance of frenzy. I don't like those odds if you're going to deal with a lot of guru and high temperature situations. Right. Convene, though, I mean, if you're going to convene something where the crew have to keep cool heads, I'd pull that moot under either a half moon because it's auspicious, or better yet, under the new moon when nobody has stupid high rage difficulties and it's easier to not frenzy because the moon's influence is at its lowest. And also, a ragabash moot convened under a new moon would be a good opportunity to ferret out the truth, particularly when you're doing a trial or inquest. Yeah, absolutely. So, that would be a really good time to do a moot if you ask me. So yeah, you can convene a moot at any point as long as you're convening at least one per month to recharge the cairn because the cairn is being constantly drawn off its energy by the guru using it and you need to replenish it. Now, you can do it in smaller rituals off to the side, but really, why are you not doing a big moot when you can have the opportunity to gather everybody for a party? And the only reasons, the only reason that you wouldn't hold a monthly moot, and there's uh, an instance of this in our a World of Rage actual play, is there is a sept that has a cairn, and honestly, the sept is a pack because they are a they are in a place where they have lost a lot of power and a lot of Garu over the years, and they have dwindled down to barely existing, and for them. Having a moot every month means convening other Garu from other places to have enough Garu there. And they don't want to have other people there frequently for political reasons. So they host these individual rituals where they are feeding the Cairn Heart directly instead of doing a moot. But in some cases where there aren't a lot of Garu, it makes sense to do that. But in other cases, you, you want to have the moot because you're doing exactly that. You're feeding the Cairn which is something you really have to do just to make sure everything is healthy at your cairn. It's rare, but getting more and more common, I think, the less and less Garu there are as we get closer to the apocalypse. Right. That's, that's a reason, but hopefully you can work through that or not have that present in your games, depending on how you want to do it. I'm reminded of that sad story we encountered while reading uh, Guardians of the Cairns of the poor group of uh, young Cleoth who had no idea how to run the moot right but they know they need to do it, right? They've seen it done like once or twice, but they don't know how to do it, do it. Nobody had taught them the moot right. They had to figure, they would be in a situation where their Karen's going to die if they don't figure it out, but they yep. know they have to do something. So after the monthly moot, we've you got another get, couple of layers of moots. So let's talk about the next layer of moot after the monthly moot. If you're going, when you need to deal with something that's bigger than can be handled at a particular moot, there are a couple different types of moots you can call. The Grand Moot is generally a tribal affair. All Guru of a given tribe within a region are called to attend a big moot at a particular location. Messengers spend word of the gathering. They allow time for attendees to travel to the Sept. All Guru who belong to a tribe calling the moot within a reasonable distance 
are expected to attend. Grand moots warrant traveling great distances, jumping lots of moon bridges, crossing oceans, whatever you need to do. Very rare that you will have a grand moot where other tribes are invited to attend. Invitations like these are few and far between and usually have a big reason. For example, the stargazers in the werewolf metaplot decided to abandon the nation and move to the beast courts and the Hengiokai. They convened several grand moots over time and in their region to discuss, debate, come to a conclusion, and ultimately decide to leave the Western Concordiate. And that's what you could, things like that are possible at grand moots. If you're, now, I would find this very interesting to run a grand moot if you're running a single tribe game. Right. If you're, all your pack members are from a single tribe, then yeah, grand moots could be an interesting story to run. But anything that allows you to exclude player characters or allows NPCs to exclude player characters, I tend to be leery of. I'd find an excuse for the players who are not part of a given tribe to attend a grand moot if you need them. Like they were part of discovering whatever the reason is for the grand moot being called. Like, for example, if, if we discover a particular sept has fallen to the worm, the appropriate response, because we're not going to have the forces necessary to drive them out ourselves, we call a grand moot. We call all the, well, actually, a conclation, the next level up might be even more appropriate for that purpose, to gather the forces needed to deal with it. But if we're, if we discover that as tri- if I'm a member of a given tribe, and I discover one of my tribe septs has fallen to the worm, and they're actively doing things that glorify the worm and call him father, I'm not going to want that shame spread to the other tribes about this. I'm not going to want that to know about this. Right. I'm going to go to my elders discreetly with my pack, with proof, and say, look, we discovered this. My guys are cool on this. They're not going to spread any word about this, but we need to deal with this within house. Right. Which makes and sense. that's the sort of situation you would call a grand grand mood for. Right. You call a grand mood. We, we have a problem. We need to deal with it in-house, and we're going to do it this way. And my buddies have to come because they're presenting the evidence. And they yeah. definitely want to be part of the solution. And yeah. no, we won't tell this story until after we've cleaned out the problem. Right. Whatever so you, it happens to be. You mentioned the next level, which is conchalations. Conchalations, as I understand it, are require five elders from five different tribes to agree to call that particular type of moot. And it's another regional moot where everyone from those tribes within that region comes to that particular moot. This is like a regional, hey, we found a hive. We need to get everybody together to go assault this thing together type of moot. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of the right sort of thing for that? That's a, that's a really good example. Conchalations are kind of like, let's gather everybody in the region who could can spare to deal with a threat on a regional scale, to deal with a problem on a regional scale, to maybe have a regional alliance or peace negotiation. Whatever it is, it has to affect a whole swath of cairns. It's going to be big enough to deal with the whole thing. In my planning notes for future supplements in the Dark Ages line, which we're going to get to someday, I have written notes of, such and so character calls a conclation of all the guru in Scotland to plan a war against, to plan the counteroffensive against the Black Sparrow Dancers in Scotland. That's the sort of thing you call a conclation for. Mm-hmm. You would, countering a very big worm threat is a very important thing. Preventing a war between two sects, that's the sort of thing you would mediate a conclation. Preventing, I mean, the mess we have in Berlin, someone should have called a conclation about this a long time ago right. and dealt with this. 
Right. The right. thing and about it is these big meetings are really hard to organize. Right. And hard to get everybody involved to agree to organize it because there are so many things going on all the time that as Garu, you're just like, I would love to call this, but we just can't call this because we don't have the time because the worm is out there and needs to be killed wherever it breeds, wherever it dwells. Right. When the stargazers withdrew, we had to call conclusions, lots of them, because it's like, what just happened? We just lost an entire tribe again. And what are we going to deal with this? Conclusions are big deal. It takes at least three months to put together this because you have to pick a set to host them. And of course, if you're running a game, the player character set is the natural choice. Of course. To be the host site for this sort of a party. Of course. Duh. Of course, the player character set is going to be chosen to host the conclusion. And then you have to make measures for securing the people traveling to and from. Opening moon bridges, which involves exchanges of pathstones, which is itself a fantastic opportunity for diplomacy between SEPs. We have to organize the big security for the party. We have to organize the food, the logistics, the the lodging. Everything has to be arranged. Oh, and it all has to not impact the veil. Right. None of it. Right. None of it has to impact the veil, and we have to keep this secret not only from the normal humans around, but also from the worm's agents because. We're going to host a bunch of powerful elders in one particular spot. If and the worm always has the forces. I mean, even if they're not, if the worm has enough warning, they can assemble forces to destroy this. Right. So you got to make sure that this stays secret and safe. Which is a good Um, segue into the next level of moots, the grand conclations, where the whole nation is supposed to be invited. Like you're talking about getting. All of the Garu in in the Western Concordia, in in theory, in the world, are invited and to get together at a particular location for all of these things. You've got to do all this sort of logistics. There's a reason scaled up even further, right? And there's a reason none of these have been called in living memory. Yeah, this is a worldwide big deal. We need to put this together. Kind of situation is. My is whatever the threat is, it's got to be on the scale of Storm Eater or something, right? The last time a, con- a grand conclusion was called, we had an Uber Bane loose in the Wild West, and somebody had to deal. We had to form a plan as the whole nation to contain this thing before it got out of hand. And the right of the Still Skies is probably put together, if not discovered, and the members for the right gathered there. Another purpose for conclusions and grand conclusions is appointing. A silver pack, mm-hmm. which is like the pack for the purpose, given that all, the only one silver pack exists at a given time in the nation. It and depends on how you read things. the silver pack. Sorry, I have this is a thing with if you go back to the first edition materials and the second edition materials, and then it changes at some point between first and revised and afterward. Initially, the silver pack, every single sept had a silver pack. And they were the the main pack that went out and did specific hunting for specific enemies of the sept in that area. That changed over time to there being one silver pack that was either for the entire nation or for a region or something like that for those larger groups. I agree with you that that is one uh, way that the silver pack concept has been expressed, but it can be run in a lot of different ways because it's been provided to us in a lot of different ways over the years in the different books. Right. 
but if I was, if I happen to have, I don't know, a perfect pack with a, with an ideal composition of auspices and maybe a friend, and I happen to have a purpose that was really, really important and needed to be accomplished to fulfill a prophecy that would unify the nation or something like that, I might gather a big calculation and put them through all kinds of interesting tests and ritual challenges where they have to beat other members of all other auspices for the honor of being chosen to be in the silver pack. And of course the player character is going to succeed at that because of the player characters, but why not? And then send them off on a big mission, which is going to get them boatloads of renown and have them serve the most awesome totem of totems of Phoenix herself. I don't know if I'm an ST, that sounds like gold to me. That is so an interesting I throw idea. Throw that out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you for throwing that out there. That may apply. I'm just mm-hmm. thinking to our a World of Rage game. I can see a couple of similar elements there in the game that we've got. Having a perfect pack that is prophesized to do some big things. That said, our nation in that particular version of the World of Darkness is not united enough to call a grand compilation. They're barely unified to enough to call a conculation. And I actually think in most cases, that's not going to happen. That's right. just one element to consider. There is one further type of move, but it's very it's a variation on the it's somewhere between a grand conculation and a tribal conculation. And it's called an imperial mood. It's specific to one tribe. My voice, the silver fangs. In you can, in theory, the king with the most renown in the tribe can basically call, this is an all-call for the entire tribe to sort out matters and determine policy for how the nation is going to move forward, and we're going to organize ourselves to deliver this. In my notes for the Dark Ages, the supplements in the future, there's a Silver Fang-specific one where same character also calls a, a, grand, a grand imperial moot, reviving an ancient tradition. I mean, this character is reviving all sorts of ancient traditions, including wearing the Silver Crown. And the wearer of the Silver Crown is usually the one who has the authority to do so. If there's no bearer of the Silver Crown at the time, it's questionable if there's a king who's renowned enough to call such an imperial moot. But a Silver Fang-only affair, if you don't have a damn good reason why you're going to be present. Right. And we're going to determine something big. I've attended one imperial moot, appropriately, the all-Silver Fang game I was running. And at that mood, we did a couple things that were considered impossible. We brought back a dead house. My character earned the name of Kingmaker because he provided a character who was challenging for the right to be a king among the houses with the reason for his challenge. And it also was it had double meaning because I also led the calls for one tribe, one king, that got the tribe to rally behind a certain Albrecht Morning Kill as the king of the tribe. And the Silverfang tribe actually emerged from the Grand, the Imperial Moot, united behind that king, which is a feat that didn't happen in canon, right? If I'm familiar with it, that's the sort of thing you can do if you're running an all tribe game of Silverfangs. I have my theories about how moots originated, and I'm pretty sure that Silverfangs were heavily involved. They're kind of the brand, the root from which the tradition de- varies. I think. Sure, and then that makes sense. So we've talked about the whys, some of the levels of moot, some of the, the the structure a little bit, but I want to specifically dive in and talk about the structure of the moot, how they are run, what are the different stages of a moot. And of course, these are just grand uh, or generalized examples of how one type of moot could be run 
You can run your moots any way you want to with any different elements you want to. And the game is designed to give you all of those or to let you do that as kind of a toolbox sort of thing. But it doesn't necessarily in W20 give you the specific list of events that usually happen at a moot. So we're going to talk about what those look like. Jim, can you give us the outline of, of what those points of the moot are? Certainly. Yeah. And to cite my references, I found these in several places. You can find them in, they're not anywhere in W20 that I'm aware of, but you can find them in Werewolf Revised Storyteller's Companion, pages 32 to 34. You can find them in World of the Player's Guide 2nd Edition, 93 through 96. And you can also find, but I think the best explanation is in Werewolf Revised Player's Guide 117 through 120. And that's where I'm going to be referencing the most. A moot's chronology runs as follows. You summon all the people together, the summons. It's not actually a formal part of the moot, but it's necessary because we got to get everybody in the same place. First, before we even begin the, the moot, we have to summon everyone who's supposed to be present. The moot formally begins by performing the moot rite itself during the opening howl. That's the formal beginning of the moot. And then we go from there into the inner sky. From there, we go into the cracking of the bone, stories and songs, and then the revel. I've noticed that these roughly align, and it's not explicitly stated, but they roughly align with the five auspices. Right. Opening howl to Ragabash, inner sky to Theurge, Cracking the Bone to Philodox, Stories and Songs, obviously Galliard, and the Revel for the Aruns. It's appropriate if you want to call out the members of your pack who happen to be of a given auspice to participate in the part of the moot that seems designed to accompany that. And that's very useful and important. So talk to us. So the opening howl makes a lot of sense. It's really clear what that is. What's the cracking of the bone and what's inner sky? Can you describe what those two are? I think those are the most difficult to understand that we haven't talked about yet. Okay. Yeah, the summons and the opening howl are fairly fairly simple, straightforward, and, op- and easy to understand. There's a part of the opening howl I kind of want to emphasize that appeared in one version that didn't appear in others that I thought was particularly neat that gave the Ragabash a specific job during the opening howl. The opening howl is when we state the purposes of the moot. Mm-hmm. And why we're gathering, what we're doing, who we are, and there's a specific position. It's not even mentioned in the minor offices. I think it's appointed on a session-by-session basis called the Fool. Right. And he's basically immune. This is a always a Ragabash, but the Ragabash is basically, in this job, your purpose is to question absolutely everything in the, for the, the purpose of questioning it. Your purpose is to question, why are we meeting? Why is this important? Who are we? What are we doing? And the purpose is to reemphasize the importance of these things as the sept gathers to refute the fool and tell him why this is important, even though he's arguing against it. I'd argue the fool still gets renowned for doing their job, but they're in, during the mood, obviously, they're immune from consequences for asking irrelevant and dangerous questions. Not every mood has this position, but I saw this in one reference. I thought that's particularly appropriate and needs to be called out. The inner sky, a little less obvious than what the opening howl is. We've gathered in the summons, we've gathered everyone who's coming to the moot, with the exception of the Cairn Guardians. Somebody's always on guard duty. Poor guys. Bring them some f- from food from the revel. Summons is obvious. Opening howl is obvious. We do the moot right at the opening howl, and that reach everybody puts in some gnosis and recharges the Cairn. 
pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The inner sky is less obvious. This is the third chunk of the moat. The inner sky is when we call all the spirit allies and spirit witnesses to be present for the moot. It's a series of summoning rites. And this is kind of like a pop quiz for your theurgists because you don't want to delay the moot by doing a lengthy summoning of a particular spirit. Every theurgist's favorite trick of, I'm going to do the rite of summoning for 10 hours and drop the difficulty of the summoning down to a Paisley 3, not going to work here. Right. You have to do the right of summoning as written at the difficulty stated. This is your pop quiz. You've got to test it at the best you can. You're summoning first. You summon the tribal, you summon the Karen Totem. Always summon the Karen Totem first, even if you're summoning more prestigious spirits later. At some steps, I've seen him summon the tribal totems of every guru present because that's just honor and respect for those guru. But more commonly, you will see the sep- the packs who are present their theurgists will be called up to summon their specific pack spirit. And this can be really easy, particularly if your pack chose the the spirit power of nearly always with the pack, because of course the spirit is going to show up when you call him. It's practically a formality that you do a summoning in that situation. And you're doing a pop quiz of, you can also summon a greater version of your pack's totem and be more impressive. Summon the tribal totem. that If you're following stag, Instead of summoning your specific stag gaffling, you could go for big, go for broke, and summon the summon the stag. So that makes sense. So it makes sense that you're summoning the, the spirits that represent all of the elements of the packs and the, the tribes and those the important spirits of the cairn and uh, and whoever might have a shrine here at the cairn is probably getting summoned and brought and made present because their involvement, spirit involvement in a moot is really important because Garu are both spirit and physical creatures. So that makes sense to me. But what about the the spirit witnesses? Right. What about the cracking of the bone? I don't quite get, I do, but I'm saying I don't quite get what you do during the cracking of the bone. A better question is what don't you do during the cracking of the bone? This is the biggest, the most, I don't know if there's a part that's more important than others, but if there was, the most important part of the mood would be this one. The cracking of the bone comes from its the ritual that begins this part of the moot. You bring a literal bone. The set leader brings out a literal bone and cracks it, usually over the D or something similar. I've seen a set leader headbutt it before, just to make a point. But the cracking of the bone is like, okay, we've got everybody present who's supposed to be here. I'm calling things to order, and we're going to start the business part of the moot. This is the formal, let's get everything out there kind of situ- setup of the moot. The all sept business is done here. Every announcement from the elders, every pronouncement of new rules or regulations is done here. Every challenge is done during this part of the moot, including the challenges for rank, position, renown. All of them are done here. If you have a grievance with another guru, this is where you bring it up and settle it. If you have business to bring before the sept, information to share with the whole sept, you put it on the docket here. And there is a docket. This is one like a literal board meeting part of the sept. It's the board meeting, really, yep. for the for the local guru. Yep. Okay. That makes and sense. It goes in rank order. Your elders always get to present their business first. And we work down the chain. That's why player characters tend to be sitting for a long period of time. And a lot of STs hand wave this part of the moot. I think that that's a mistake. You really need to at least devote a few paragraphs of reading story stuff 
So the player characters can make checks with their awareness, subterfuge, politics, to follow what's going on at home. This is when you find out what's happened with the other packs. What have they done? Yeah. And I think it's really important to use those elements to do some of the politicking that you see present in a game. So I think that's a really good point. The politics of the sept are laid bare here for you to watch what's going on. If somebody is going to challenge the sept alpha, it's going to happen at the top of the cracking of the bone. If somebody's going to challenge for the middle positions, it's going to happen during the cracking of the bone. Yeah. If so, somebody's going to, I mean, if you've got a problem with another guru, if this is the traditional time to settle it. Right. If you've made a challenge during the month that's be settled by the master of the challenge, this is the part of the mood it happens during. That makes and sense. Critically, this so, is okay. also the part of the mood where you get rights of accomplishment. Right. The rights of accomplishment are performed during this part of the mood, not during songs and stories. Right. And I think that's deliberate. Yeah, it's deliberate because you're not supposed to get to that opportunity to make your renown permanent until after until a, a, a month goes by between telling your story where people recognize it and then can question whether or not your story is true. Maybe do some research and figure it out. And then that gives that opportunity for things to kind of get settled down and people to recognize, yeah, they absolutely deserve this specific amount of renown for that story that they told and that thing that they said they did. Because the right of renown, the right of accomplishment can be heckled. Right. If somebody in the set doesn't like you and doesn't want you to move up in renown, they can heckle the right master and tell him that this person is obviously not worthy. This person is obviously not a person that, uh, who should be given this recognition. They should obviously not be honored this way. And this is why it's very risky to do a right of accomplishment in a set which is hostile to you. Right. Because you can, the right master can fail the right of accomplishment. If they fail the right of accomplishment, you're boned. Right. You just lost all the, because to perform the right of accomplishment, you're anteing up all that temporary renown and saying, I think I deserve this. The right master's performing the right to accomplishment to confirm it. And if either you or they frenzy from being heckled, you've just lost that. Yep. All that renown is ghost went poof. Yep. That's a good point. It's not a, and if they, if they botch or fail the right of accomplishment, poof. Yep. You better be darn sure that your right master for the right of accomplishment knows his business. Right. And this is one of the few situations where it is acceptable to approach your friends. Right. You want people who love and respect you, who you know will do a good job at this thing. Sometimes you don't have that option, but in general, those are the people you want to do this sort of thing because they're the ones conferring your diploma on you for, you know, to make a real world sort of example. So I think that's right. a good covering of like that uh, cracking of the bone section. There's one point you can, in fact, do a right of renown before the story is told. Mm-hmm. I found that in at least one of my references, but I would argue that's very risky. Right. You're basically staking. I'm so sure that this is on the level that I'm going to ask for the accomplishment before the story's even been told. You got to be if arrogant. I'm the ST, you're arrogant, and yeah. I'm going to raise the difficulty. Right. And you're right. almost certainly going to get heckled for that. Right. 
Um, so that makes sense. And then you, you, that all makes sense. And then we're, we're moving into the storytelling segment. There, there's a lot that we could talk about, but I think we need to at least acknowledge the storytelling segment is where Galliard shine. I'm just going to kind of say that that should be obvious. You're telling the tales of your pack and of the nation. We mentioned this before. These are where you're reinforcing who you are as Garu and what it means to be Garu through your tribal stories and all of those sorts of things happen during that segment of the mood. But then after that, I'm going to just hurry us along and say the revel happens at the end. And the revel is usually a hunt that either you are specifically hunting a worm creature from the, the area around your cairn, and you're trying to destroy and kill that creature, or an angling is summoned specifically for you to hunt. And as you hunt that, killing it releases its gnosis so that you can give that to the pack cairn or the cairn totem so that they are re-energized after the revel. Um, and then afterward, usually there is a party that sort of is part of the revel that is just kind of the the ending element of saying, we are happy that this moot has occurred the way that it has occurred. And we are basking in the wonderfulness of, of being who we are as Garu. This is particularly a time when lots of spirit awakened alcohol gets drunk. You seek out your kinfolk mates for reasons. And you and generally celebrate the fact that we have lived through another month, another lunar cycle to continue the fight against the war. Good for us. We, we, we deserve a little party every now and again. I want to say a little bit more about the stories and songs section because the stories and songs is not just recent history. Right. The entire Garus history is oral for the most part. Performances of classic pieces of Guru literature happen at this time. Right. Parts of the, the litany, litany, parts of the silver record get to retold here. Absolutely. Yeah. Parts of the litany, part of the silver record, parts of the Cairn history. Right. Stories of, I mean, if I'm going to be an ST and I want to reinforce the flavor of this set, I am going to have my the tail singer headline the acts with the performances for this night with a rendition of one of the deeds that made the elder of this sept the elder of this sept. Yep. I'm going to make the elder look good and repeat one of his store one of his best stories. I'm going to if. I mean, an example I cited it elsewhere was if there's something funny going on at your sept, like, I don't know, a pair of guru doing something they shouldn't per the first rule of the litany. I, as a philodox who learned about this from a, from a theurge who was told it by a spirit who witnessed them doing something they shouldn't be doing, goes to the galliard and says, I want you to tell this specific story, the version of the story of these two guru lovers were star-crossed and they were doing a bad thing. And they were separated for their own good, and they both found kinfolk lovers and got and were happy and lived happily ever after. The Galliard, if he's smart, will not question why he's being told this. Right. To do this. He will put it in the mix, and it'll be performed, and every ragabash hearing that story knows, oh, they only perform this story for a reason. They perform this story when there's something going on, and somebody's doing something they shouldn't be, and if we catch them, we get renown. And that's one of the ways I've cited that all the auspices can be involved in making sure that a violation of litany is quietly handled without anybody needing to get embarrassed. That's, that, that is an interesting cultural point. And that one of the things that moots are, it's a reinforcement of culture. When people gather for holidays, it's reinforcement 
of your cultural identity. And a moot is the ultimate expression of the of a regular ritual festival that you are reinforcing what it means to be Garu. You are reinforcing what it means to follow the litany and do the things that Gaia commands you to do. It is the ultimate religious expression of what it means to be a Garu in the nation. And this makes moots incredibly important. And we've this talked- is also a really good segue to discussing the fact that tribes do moots differently at their tribal sets. And this is one of the sections that is covered in W20. I'll glide over it briefly because it's pretty obvious. There, I mean, obviously a Shadow Lord moot is going to be very different than a Bonar one. A Fenrir moot is going to be very different from a Black Fury one. And a Stargazer moot will be different from a Silverfang one. I think the Silverfang moots are kind of the origin point. They're the ones who set the standard, and they hewed a tradition really hard. Every other tribe varies something on it. I believe the first idea of a moot was probably put together by a Silverfang, who wanted an efficient means of communicating the king's orders to the king's subjects. And they probably developed the standard form of a moot that, he, that every other tribe varies on. Tribal variants are worth looking over for how do you flavor the individual moots at your sep, which is most likely at this time and place going to be a, an amalgamation of different tribes. Right. How are you going to make your moots feel unique and different? So look over that stuff when you want to flavor the specific moots in your story. And again, I, I think that's a reinforcement of the specific culture of the tribe and uh, relevant to the human cultures that these tribes are a part of and how they're expressing their own individual cultures within the greater cultural identity of the nation itself. I think it's important to read those segments if you want to flavor a moot with Fenrir elements or with uh, uh, older brother elements or something like that, because it's going to give you some hints on how to do that reinforcement of the cultural elements really appropriately. We are going to wrap everything up. We probably could talk for another hour or more about moots. There's lots of interesting elements to talk about, but I think we did a really good overview cover of everything. Jim, thank you for coming on and talking to us about this. I really appreciate your knowledge and your willingness to kind of dive deeply on all of this. I love any excuse to come talk with you about werewolf lore, which I mean, we've spent 20 years immersing ourselves in the lore of this stuff. And I love being a werewolf encyclopedia and sharing my my knowledge of the system with everyone. And I think moots are an extraordinarily important part of this culture. As I said at the top of it, if you think werewolf isn't a social game, you haven't attended many moots. Right. Hard. So I'm going to wrap everything up until we get an answer to the question of when will you rage? I'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>